In the struggle to save the world's largest rainforest, the Amazon. Wildfires moving with blinding speed. Industrial practices are having a devastating impact and severely depleting fish populations. Operation Climate presents our threats to nature series. When was the last time you thought about breathing or where oxygen comes from? Having oxygen to breathe is often something taken for granted, but the very act of breathing connects us to plants and ecosystems all over the world. The Amazon rainforest, for example, produces 6% of the world's oxygen, which is the most of any forest on the planet. But as the world's largest rainforest, the Amazon does far more than produce oxygen. It is a key regulator of the Earth's biogeochemical cycles. Known for its colorful and vast array of species, ranging from tiny tree frogs and monkeys to manatees and even jaguars, the Amazon is what scientists like to call a biodiversity hotspot. Its protection is key to planetary health. But what happens when the Amazon isn't protected? Hi, I'm Mira. I'm Georgie. And I'm Renee. And we will be your hosts for today's episode of our Threats to Nature series, where we will be exploring palm oil as one of the many threats to the Amazon rainforest's biodiversity as well as discussing solutions and organizations that are attempting to combat those threats. But before we start digging into the threat, let's take a step back and understand the bigger picture. Why exactly do we need to be focusing on protecting and conserving rainforests? Why is biodiversity so important? To answer these questions, we are excited to welcome our first guest today, Dr. Stuart Pym. Dr. Pym is the Doris Duke Chair of Conservation and a Professor of Conservation Ecology at Duke University, as well as the President and Founder of Saving Nature, a nonprofit that raises money to empower local conservation groups in biodiversity hotspots around the world. To start, Dr. Pym explains the importance of biodiversity. I think there were three reasons why, uh, why we need to, to protect biodiversity. Um, the first is an ethical one, if you like, a religious, that I think we have a responsibility to, uh, to the generations that follow, to, to our children and grandchildren, to leave the world in as least a good a shape as we found it. And we're not doing that. We're, we're destroying species. And it was that loss of species that I saw in Hawaii, the loss of... Of, of the habitats which I see in the Amazon and in other rainforests um, that struck me as being a deeply ethical issue. It's a deep problem of stewardship, which we're failing. The second reason why I think we should care is an aesthetic one. You know, we're losing fantastic and interesting animals. You know, when Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz uh, talks about lions and tigers and bears, oh my, will there be wild things out there? Wouldn't it be a shame if we had to teach our children, well, once upon a time we had lions and we had tigers and we had polar bears, uh, but we don't anymore. So I, I think... Most people find beauty in, in the natural world, and, uh, and, and so we, we should look after that in the same way that we look after all kinds of cultural, artistic treasures. We wouldn't go into a museum and, and destroy all the paintings there. We shouldn't go into nature and destroy all we've, we encounter there. And, you know, the third one is just hard-nosed economic reality. The, the nature is worth 
something follows. When we destroy the forests in the Amazon, and indeed when we destroy tropical forests around the world, that contributes about 10% of the greenhouse gases that go into the atmosphere that are calling, causing massive disruption to the global climate. Wow, the incentives to care about biodiversity are clearly massive. Definitely. What I also find interesting is that Dr. Pym frames protecting biodiversity not only as an environmental problem, but also as a selfish cause. Who would want to live in a world without the color and variety of living things? That's a really good point. We should care about biodiversity because it not only benefits the health of rainforests and other ecosystems, but it also benefits us and keeps us in awe of the beautiful variety that exists on the planet. Yeah, it definitely makes me wonder about all the threats to biodiversity. To help us understand why there has been so much biodiversity loss in the last few decades, we turn to Dr. Pym. I think the biggest threat to biodiversity is the fact that we're destroying habitats. You know, in, in the last 50 years or so, we've destroyed about half the world's tropical forests. Two thirds of species on land live in our tropical forests. So, you know, this principal driver is, is our destruction of, of forests. And, you know, particularly with the advent of really good remote sensing satellite imagery, you know, you can now go to Google Earth and, and see, um, you know, historical images where you can see how the forests have been destroyed. And, and I think that gives us an immediate sense of just how much impact we're having. In fact, it's it's even worse than just destroying the forests and, and other habitats too. It's we leave those forests in fragments, in, in isolated patches of habitat. The problem with that is, you know, the patches may be so small that in you know, the patch over there you have two females and the patch over there you have two males just by chance. Well, if you don't get them together, you're not getting any babies. So it's this fragmentation leads to populations that aren't small enough. They become inbred, they, they wink out. Um, and it's that fragmentation that I believe we can, we can address first uh, because it's, it's the most cost-effective thing we can do. We can re-establish the connections. We can, we can put nature back together again. Wow, I didn't realize that so much of the world's habitats have been destroyed by humans. Half the tropical forests? What a tragedy. Yes, but Dr. Pym makes the point that we can, in fact, put nature back together. There is hope. More on specific ways you can have a positive impact coming at the end of the episode. While it's clear that we as humans have an impact on the environment, it's not always obvious exactly how. The leading cause of deforestation in the Amazon is cattle ranching because of the large swaths of pasture land it requires. However, a lesser-known environmental stressor on the Amazon rainforest is palm oil. You might have heard that palm oil is in 50% of the items at the grocery store, especially widespread among packaged goods. But what exactly is palm oil? Why do we use it so much? And how is it impacting the rainforests? Dr. Pym helps us start answering these questions. First of all, palm oil is in all sorts of places. It's quite likely that you, uh, you shampooed your hair today with, with a product that contained palm oil. 
Um, it wouldn't say palm oil, it would have called it some other things. The thing about palm oil is, first of all, that oil palms grow in rainforests. So you can clear rainforests to grow palm oil. The second thing is it's very productive. You, you can get a lot of um, palm oil from a plot of, of land, and it's scalable. So I've seen farmers carrying three or four clusters of palm oil fruit on the back of their motorbikes, you know, laden down with these enormous, uh, enormous fruits, you know, taking them to some processing center. So you can do it at a small scale, but it's these huge uh, commercial enterprises that cover hundreds of thousands of square kilometers that are destroying the world's rainforests. And um, that's not an easy process to, uh, to stop. It's, it's, it's an economically viable way of using that land. Um, and how we stop that is, is, is tricky. Given the environmental destruction associated with palm oil, you may be wondering why we even use it at all. Why don't we just switch to using other oils? With some quick research, you'll actually find that switching to other oils isn't really that much better. And in fact, in many ways, it can be worse. According to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, although palm oil production causes significant amounts of deforestation and biodiversity loss, replacing it with other oils could require up to nine times as much land to produce the same amount of oil. So given this reality, what are we supposed to do? Well, luckily, we have Francisco Naranjo from the International Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, or RSPO, to talk about their solution to the palm oil issue and their work in Latin America specifically. Francisco has been working in the palm oil industry for over 15 years from the sustainability angle, and he heads RSPO's Latin American regional office. Here's how he describes his organization. The, the RSPO, the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, is a global a multi-stakeholder initiative is a member-based organization and our members come from many different backgrounds including growers, plantation companies, processors and traders, consumer goods manufacturers, retailers, supply chain members, but also financial institutions, environmental and social NGOs. So a wide variety of stakeholders and uh, come from um, many countries. He, at the moment, um, the RSPO has uh, more than 5,500 members uh, across the globe uh, from more than 100 uh, countries. And our mission is to, um, is to transform the market to make sustainable palm oil the, the norm. I think it's important to, to, to mention how we work. Our members, uh, through um, Open Dialogue have created um, a standard for sustainable palm oil production, which is, is known as the, the RSPO principles and criteria, the PNCs, the RSPO PNCs. Uh, these principles and criteria address all the basics to ensure that palm oil production is uh, environmentally sound and conducted with full respect for human rights of communities, respecting workers' rights, and, and in general, people's people's right. When, uh, when a member, when a company, when uh, it joins RSPO, this member, if it's a, a grower member, has to undergo a very strict uh, certification process 
And this certification process is carried out by an independent cer uh, certification body. So we rely on an on a independent third-party verification. In verification audits are conducted annually, and all the information is published on, uh, on our website, ensuring uh, complete transparency in, uh, in the certification process. So once the oil palm producer has been certified, it then delivers the certified sustainable palm oil to a refinery. Then um, this refinery in turn provides um, products to uh, consumer good manufacturers. And in this way, the, the palm oil, the certified sustainable palm oil travel, it travels through the supply chain until it reaches uh, the end consumer. So all of these points in the supply chain are also audited against the, the, what we call the RSPO supply chain standard uh, before any claim can be made to the market to say that a particular product contains um, a certified sustainable palm oil. Wow, it seems like RSPO's work is quite extensive. So just to make sure we got the big picture, RSPO is an international organization composed of various stakeholders that certifies palm oil as sustainably produced? Yeah, exactly. And their goal is to make sustainable palm oil the market standard. That's amazing. What is their work like in Latin America, and what have been some of their biggest accomplishments? According to Francisco, RSPO only started working in the Amazon relatively recently, but they have made a lot of progress since then. Here's what he had to say. Uh, the, the first uh, RSPO certified company in Latin America was uh, Agropalma. Agropalma is a Brazilian company that uh, achieved its certification around 2012. And at the moment, 30% of the palm oil produced in Brazil has been certified under the RSPO standard. I think it's important also to mention that several, um, the most important palm oil growers in Brazil have uh, joined RSPO. But there are some um, important uh, challenges in Brazil. I think all the big companies are now part of RSPO, but uh, then um, our next uh, big uh, challenge is how to bring smallholders and medium-sized growers to, to the system. That's Brazil, but in Peru, um, unfortunately, we haven't have, uh, we don't have any, any certified grower at the moment in Peru. However, um, I have good news. Uh, the, the largest company, the biggest company in Peru, palm oil company in Peru, Palmas del Espino, is now in its final stage of certification. So I hope that um, they will finish their process in the next one or two months. Uh, we will have the first uh, certified grower in, in, in Peru very soon. And that will um, give us uh, some leverage to start, um, you know, mobilizing the rest of the, the, the other growers in Peru. Concerning Ecuador, similar as Brazil, 30% of the area cultivated with uh, oil palm in the Amazon is already certified. And it's important because we have a very interesting program in, in Ecuador. RSPO has developed um, recently um, what we call a new model of certification called jurisdictional certification. So instead of certifying a, a meal, a palm oil meal or a, a oil palm producer, we aim to certify a, a full jurisdiction, a political jurisdiction. Uh, could be a 
one province, two provinces, or, or even a country. So in the case of Ecuador, we are working very closely um, with the Ecuadorian government to certify um, all the producers, all the growers located in the Amazon, Ecuadorian Amazon. So it's a very ambitious program um, and it requires a lot of work, uh, but um, we have a timeline of uh, five years to finalize this, uh, this uh, project. And uh, as I said, we are working very closely with, um, with the Ecuadorian government. We have uh, full support from, uh, from uh, the current uh, government. So hopefully we will have good news in, in the short term. And um, I hope as an Ecuadorian to, to see the, all the producers in the Amazon uh, being sustainable and certified in the, in the close future. It's really great to hear all of the success that RSPO has had so far and all that they have in the works. Going forward, what does the organization see as their next big steps? I think we have done a lot, but there are many, many challenges still ahead of us. Definitely how to bring smallholders into the system, how to mobilize medium-sized growers. That's a huge, a huge challenge because we're talking about thousands of growers in the Amazon. Okay, so it sounds like many of the world's largest companies are already RSPO members. So the next challenge is figuring out how to incentivize their small and medium-sized growers to join. Francisco explains. As I said, our mission is to transform the market, so um, to make sustainable palm oil the norm. So we rely on the the power of market to to make these uh, these changes. All the um, the main uh, global companies that use which use palm oil in their products are part of RSPO just to to name a few Nestle PepsiCo uh, Ferrero all the main global users are part of RSPO and they have a very clear very ambitious commitments of using only sustainable palm oil in their products so this is uh, creating the the conditions or or putting pressure over the growers to start implementing the best uh, agricultural and environmental and social practices in their operations. But that's one uh, one side of the story. On the other side, we need to find the right incentives to mobilize, for example, the smallholders. And then we, in that sense, we have a completely different approach. When, uh, when it comes to smallholder certification and when we need to bring smallholders into the system, our main focus is how to improve the living conditions of these small, small producers, smallholders. So we truly believe that they, when a smallholder, a small producer starts implementing the best agricultural practices, immediately after they, they will see um, an, a huge improvement in in the productivity and finally in the income. And in that sense, I think um, a smallholder starts uh, using the best agricultural practices, the best uh, sustainable practices. Uh, you will see a, a huge increase in yields and also in terms of um, productivity and, um, and finally the income. So that's our approach. So that's the best incentive to mobilize um, uh, Based on my experience, that's the best way to mobilize this huge amount of uh, smallholders. 
So that's our next uh, big step in the Amazon. Listening to Francisco, this sounds like amazing and necessary work that RSPO is doing. The sustainability aspect of palm oil is of course incredibly important, but there's also a social aspect. Especially in the Amazon region, indigenous rights are often ignored. How does the RSPO play a role in this? Broadly speaking, yes, the palm oil industry has a bad past and present in terms of harming indigenous communities. Whether that be by displacing them from their land or polluting their communities, there is certainly conflict between the two. Now, as part of their social standards, the RSPO requires that members must not buy or process palm oil from deforested indigenous lands. But how well this is implemented is up for question. For example, indigenous groups have accused RSPO of ignoring human and land right violations. We asked Francisco about this conflict, and he acknowledged that working with indigenous and local communities in the Amazon can be quite challenging. It's a, a huge task because we are talking about uh, hundreds and thousands of uh, grassroots actors. In the Amazon specifically, let me tell you our strategy. When it comes to reach out to growers, uh, it's very simple. We know who the, the big growers are. Most of the time we have information about the, the medium-sized growers and we at least we know where the small producers are. So reaching out to, to growers is not easy, but I won't say it's, a, it's not a major issue. But when it comes to reaching out to other actors like uh, in local NGOs, local communities, uh, indigenous communities is uh, far more complicated. So we have uh, developed um, an, a specific strategy to address this um, challenge. We rely on what we call intermediate organizations. So we understand that RSPO as an institution doesn't have um, sometimes the knowledge, the local knowledge needed to, to reach out to, to these uh, actors. So we have developed this strategy based on intermediate organizations. Uh, when we call intermediate organizations, I'm referring to local NGOs who know better than, than us, the regional, the local context. Others, however, including Dr. Pim, don't find the certification meaningful in its current conception. Sustainable palm oil is definitely a step in the right direction, but Dr. Pim feels that the system can continue to be improved. As he explains. Last time I looked, it was 15 or 16 percent of all palm oil. So it's not a lot of palm oil. Okay. But I think what's worse is when you dig into what that certification means, it basically means that they don't treat their employees like slaves. Um, there's a lot of guidelines in those um, sustainability initiatives to prevent a, a, abuse of people. And that's important. I'm not saying in any, in any way that I don't think that's significant. But if you look at what the uh, environmental protections are in that, there are not many of them at all. They, they involve not... Um, chopping down forest right to the very edge of a watershed, which sort of makes good sense for all sorts of reasons. But in terms of what the companies do, you have to ask what was palm oil before it became palm oil and when was it something else? 
And along with my former student and now a Dr. Varsha Vijay, we've looked at where the palm oil frontiers are. And we've looked at how long it was when those areas were, were old growth forest. Um, in, in Africa, those where palm oil comes from, um, that's, they've been growing palm oil there for a long time. But it's very clear that in, in South America, in um, Peru, in, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, uh, that these are areas which until very, very recently were old growth forests. But there were also incidentally forests where people uh, once lived. Uh, the idea that nobody lives in the Amazon is nonsense. Lots and lots of indigenous people live in the Amazon, live in um, forests in Indonesia. People go into those forests, they clear them, they clear cut them, and then they say, well, look, you know, I've got this area of, there's no forest here, let's plant it in palm oil. Um, and so it's, a, it's an evil mixture of forest clearing, often the eviction of indigenous communities, uh, and then the production of, uh, of, of, of a crop. Okay, so you might be feeling pretty confused by the differing opinions. On one hand, we had Francisco talking to us about RSPO's plans and accomplishments, and on the other, we had Dr. Pim telling us that the certification is not meaningful. How do we go about interpreting these opposing viewpoints? Yeah, it definitely can be confusing, but this range of opinions about RSPO reflects a lot of what you will even see in the conservation world. On one hand, you have groups like the World Wildlife Federation, who are large proponents of palm oil and RSPO, pointing out that using any other oil would be far worse for the environment. They argue that sustainable palm oil is the best way to protect biodiversity. On the other hand, critics such as the Greenpeace point to the RSPO's failures to effectively protect biodiversity. Unfortunately, the scientific studies on the issue also conflict, with some pointing to greater biodiversity on RSPO plantations while others find no difference between certified and uncertified plantations. Georgie, what does Francisco have to say about this issue? Well, Francisco is definitely aware of these critics. While he agrees that there is always room for improvement with the RSPO, he believes that they are heading in the right direction. I would like to start saying that we, we acknowledge that we have room for improvement. But uh, at the same time, we think that we are in the right uh, in the right path. When you see the principles and criteria, our standard, the PNCs, you will see that is an extremely robust uh, standard. So it's difficult to find a loophole, to be honest, if you read the entire the principles and criteria. But one thing is what you write in a paper and then how to implement that in the field. That's a completely different story. And I prefer work in the field rather than in my office. So I know the, the the challenges implementing um, the, the principles and criteria in the field. And now we are in the process of uh, updating the, our standard. Uh, that is to say that, uh, of course, there are some things that we can improve in, uh, in, in that regard. But in my opinion, the most important thing is how to strengthen our verification system. That is definitely is not a simple task, but we, we are working always with inputs from, from all the stakeholders. So um, I think we value a lot all the critics because that give us the main points that we need to work on. 
we welcome all the critics. Actually, within the working groups, we have a very um, sometimes harsh uh, discussions on how to improve our system. But we are all working on that. And um, I have no doubts that we are in the right path and, um, and we need uh, input from, uh, from everyone. So again, this is um, something that has to evolve every day because the challenges for achieving sustainability today are different than the, the challenges that we will face tomorrow. So that's why we, we think that um, the best way to do it is uh, through an open dialogue. And we are always uh, open to see the comments and the critics and, and also suggestions in how to improve our system. Listening to these two opposing viewpoints, it sounds like Dr. Pym is focused on the present status of RSPL. He believes that the certification does not have strong enough environmental protections and is not widespread enough in the palm oil market to have a large impact. On the other hand, you have Francisco. While he believes that the RSPO's current certification system is a lot stronger than credits give them credit for, he's more focused on the future of RSPO and palm oil in general, believing that growing RSPO and making sustainable palm oil the norm is the best solution for protecting the environment. It's clear that both sides have a point, and that this issue is a lot more nuanced than it might initially seem. I definitely agree, and I think being critical consumers and not blindly trusting that the RSPO certification means that the oil is 100% sustainable is an important part of keeping RSPO accountable and pushing them to create more rapid and widespread change in the palm oil market. In listening to Francisco, I think he also agrees that RSPO needs input from a variety of stakeholders in order to improve their system and best protect biodiversity. Wow, these were such interesting conversations, and there's definitely a lot to learn when it comes to palm oil. The topic of palm oil and biodiversity in the Amazon is a lot more complex than you might have initially thought. Yes, I definitely agree. For me, my biggest takeaway from Dr. Pym is that biodiversity is a precious resource that must be protected, not only for ourselves, but for the sake of our future generations. And listening to Francisco, what really stuck out to me was how consumer demand and public awareness regarding the issue of palm oil is what made RSPO possible. Whether or not you agree with the effectiveness of the RSPO certification, I think the fact that major companies showed an interest in joining something like the RSPO shows that consumer choices and pressure for more sustainable products is something that companies can truly listen to. So to our listeners, we have some action items. First, as individuals, you can make more educated consumer choices. Try to reduce the amount of products you buy that contain palm oil. And for the ones that you do, check and see if they're RSPO certified. If you're looking for more information on the sustainability of palm oil in your products, the World Wildlife Federation produces a palm oil scorecard in which they assess the sustainability of palm oil used by companies, and that can be really helpful. We will link the resource in our show notes. And finally, tell other people about this issue. Talk to your friends, write to your elected officials, and even to businesses and companies to let them know that sustainable palm oil is an important aspect of protecting the Amazon's biodiversity and that it is something that is important to you as a consumer. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Operations Climate's Threat to Nature series. To stay updated about future episodes, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. If you want to stay updated on other Operation Climate things, follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram and TikTok and at OpClimate on Twitter. You can find a transcript of this episode and other episode-related resources on our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast. See you next time.